Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. And Passage to Profit, we're all about the creativity, energy, and excitement that comes from starting your own business. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yes, people just like our listeners. People who are excited about taking a leap of faith and starting their own business. With so many tools and opportunities, there's never been a better time to start your own project. Get inspired by listening to Passage to Profit right here on WOR 710. Tonight we have as our guest Karen Kopp. Karen is the chief door opener at Cop Consulting, whose door opener service has helped thousands of business owners. Her company secures new meetings at major companies like P&G, Pfizer, GE, Merck, and really the list is just too long to mention here. As an example of her success, one of her clients closed $9 million in new revenue from 168 new meetings that resulted in 55 new clients. Welcome, Karen. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you again, and welcome to Passage to Profit. Tell us about what you do and why it's important. Well, when business owners need to grow their businesses, they usually need to get in the door with the important prospects. And that, I've been told, is the the hardest thing, bar none, as part of sales. It is very hard to get in the door, especially with the high-level decision makers. How do you find them? How do you connect with them? How do you get them to agree that meeting you is going to be the best decision they made today? Well, that's what we do. We provide our clients the opportunity to outsource door opening to us. We will represent them as if we were a member of their company, and our high-level door openers will open up the high-level doors and get the meetings that our clients can't get for themselves. Great. So what industries do you work with? We work across industries as long as it's B2B and our clients are selling something that's a high-ticket item and they need to get in the door either at the C-suite, SVP, VP, director level. Uh, We work across industries with companies like advertising agencies and uh, SaaS solutions, software development companies, uh, commercial flooring and interiors companies, staffing firms, and the list goes on. And law firms. And <laughs> law firms, that's right. <laughs> you guys need to get in the door, too. <laughs> we do. We absolutely do. So what are some of your strategies for uh, making all this happen? Right. Well, there are some particular strategies that need to be in place in order to get these high-level doors open. So when people say to me, I'm not getting in as many doors as I should, I say to them, you have a problem in one or more of five key planks of door opening success. You need to be targeting the exact right target. A lot of people waste time there, and they spend their valuable business development time talking to people who will never really become clients. So these are, when you say the, the, the right prospect, you mean people who really would have would be a good fit for your product or your services. Yes, not only a good fit, but they would find you to be the obvious solution for them. They would also feel some sort of urgency around having a conversation with someone new and making a decision, and they would willingly pay what you want to charge for your services. Those are all important parts of of Target. All sounds good to me. And so what is number two? Number two is message. And that's not a marketing message. It's the sales message. 
what are you going to say to these right people that would have them feel that they need to clear time on their calendar for you? So we have a trademark process for, and you like that because it's I'm trademark. Smiling. Yeah, <laughs> called moment of yes to help our clients figure out what is that moment of yes where somebody would think, you know what, you're right. I do need to have a conversation about this. So that's number two. Can you give us an example of how you'd talk about that message? Sure. Well, there is a, a staffing company that we work with. And when we first met them, they used to say that they saved their clients $5 an hour. And they thought that that was great. And it was on their website. It was in their marketing materials. But when we started looking at that from a sales perspective and a door-opening perspective, we didn't feel that the prospects would respond to $5 an hour. So we just did some math on how many hours that was over the course of the month, and it turned out to be a significantly large number. So we put that in our message that this was something that they were able to do proactively for one of their clients. And if they and if this prospect would like to know how they did that, then we should definitely set up a meeting and have that conversation. You mean just changing the positioning of the dollar savings from $5 an hour to like $100,000 a month or something, was enough to change their ability to meet decision makers. Yes, it, that was one element. It wasn't the only element, but it was very important. When you say to the right things to the right people, the doors open. If you say the wrong things to the right people, the doors stay closed. Messaging is a critical component, and most companies don't spend enough time thinking about their sales message. They spend a lot of time on their marketing message, their value proposition, and no time at all on what are the words and phrases that they can say to someone or write to someone that would move one person from one place in his or her thinking to the next, that sales message. So you mentioned in your bio that I was looking at that for one client, you took them from a five to one closing ratio to a three to one closing ratio. So what exactly does that mean? So when we met them, they were closing one sale for every five people that they met. That's what that means. And so there were a lot of things that were happening when we first were introducing them to their prospects. For example, they would go on the meetings and they would come back and we would think that they should have gotten further with those meetings than they did. So we started talking to them about what kinds of questions they're asking. What was their path of dialogue? What were they doing at the end of those meetings to get the optimal outcomes? And there was room for improvement. We made those suggestions and they were starting to do better. As time went on, we were paying attention to what happened after that meeting. Were they following up with the appropriate cadence? Were they doing effective relationship building so that somebody who didn't have an immediate need would consider them when they were ready to go? And the answer to that was no. So we were making those suggestions along the way too, and we were paying attention to what happened after the initial meeting. Our job was to get them the meeting. Their job was to close. But because we hire such senior level people, we know what good looks like when it comes to sales. And we were able to make those recommendations that they then followed and were able to increase their closing ratio to one in three. That's really great. So do you also counsel whole sales teams? Like, would you go into a corporation and help their whole team be better? We can do that. We work with some some companies. We work with the principal seller, which is sometimes just the business owner. In others, we work where there's a very large sales team, 
and they have maybe low-level uh, BDRs who are answering inbound inquiries and hand raisers. And then there's a whole team of account execs that are great at leveraging their own relationships and not as good, or maybe they don't have time, to get the right doors open. So they will be hired for that role, is to open up those big doors and then have the account execs go on the meetings and take it from there. And just like with this other example, we are also watching what happens after the meeting. And when we notice things that are preventing our clients from closing more or closing sooner, we make those recommendations. And in some cases, we'll continue on and do training, coaching, uh, all around making sure that our clients are getting optimal outcomes. Well, that sounds pretty sophisticated. And it's great that your clients are able to take advantage of your experience. Do you have any advice for entrepreneurs who are maybe not really at the stage where they can afford a professional service like yours in order to kind of improve their sales approach? Yes. Well, especially when it comes to door opening, they can follow those five planks, the target, the right message, the third was the right answers for objections. The fourth was the right door opener doing the work and making sure if you are getting in those doors that you have somebody who knows what they're doing to get those doors open. And then the fifth is the execution. What are you doing? Is it a phone call? Is it an email? How much time are you spending? So it's really important if somebody can't afford a service like ours, they're going to have to do it themselves. So there's some time management involved in that, especially if they're running the business themselves. I brought along a book with me that I've written along with my co-author, Carl Gould, which is called BizDev Done Right. It's business development done right. It's all about the blind spots in the sales process that keep the business leaders from the success they should have. And it is an Amazon bestseller, I'm proud to say. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> That's so, great. So one thing I think that you have that is hard to find is the relationships across these industries because I, you can't just walk into the VP of Exxon and say, hey, I got a brand new chemistry product for you. So you foster those relationships and that's part of what gets you in the door, right? Yes, and you need to pick the right person. You need to say something that's incredibly valuable to that person. A lot of people say that, oh, business only happens according to relationships. Well, people weren't born with relationships. Some relationships are created over time. And one of the blind spots is that once people are in the door, they don't nurture those relationships properly so that you could see them through and be the vendor of choice when somebody is ready to go. The buyers don't buy when the sellers are ready. They buy when they're ready. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt and our special guest, Karen Kopp. You're listening to WOR 710, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney. Spokesperson. 
Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. So welcome back, entrepreneurs. And now a little bit more info about the show. Tonight, we're going to have three entrepreneurs pitch their companies. After the pitches, you, our listeners, can go to the Passage to Profit page at GearhartLaw.com and vote for your favorite pitch. That's Gearhart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can vote for a week, but you only get to vote once. So get your friends to vote, put it out on your social media networks, get everyone you know to vote. And just remember the name of the show by imagining yourself walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end, Passage to Profit. And may your passage be short and your profit be huge. (laughs) And if you want to be on the show, come to a Passage to Profit meetup in New York and pitch your idea to us. You can call us too if you can't make it. For that, but you have to be in New York to be on the show. Go to the Meetup website or just Google Passage to Profit and sign up. It's that simple. And it's free to be on the show. All we ask is that you have a website and that you promote the show on your social media. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhart and our special guest, Karen Kopp. Karen, you were talking about the five pillars of business development. So we've been through the first two. Let's talk about the other three. The first two planks of the five planks of door opening success are the right target and the right message. The third is the right answers for objections. Not just any answers, but actually the right ones. The ones that will make somebody stop and think and say, you know what, you're right. I never thought about it like that. We do need to have this meeting. Let's go ahead and set it. And what's really interesting is when we listen to our door openers who always start with the messaging that's been created, but life doesn't happen according to a script, let's face it. And so they need to be in that moment and to be able to turn somebody who's saying, you know what, I don't really think this is for me, to somebody who says, I never thought about it that way. You're right. Let's have that meeting. And so they need to be able to think on their feet and be able to come up with objection answers that sometimes we don't think of ahead of time. So can you give us some examples of some objections? I'm sure one is well, we don't have the money for it, right? That's like probably the one you hear the most often, right? Well, sometimes. I mean, usually they they know somebody who they're working with and they're very happy with that. I'll get back to that budget one in a second. But that's the one we hear most often. It's like, thanks anyway. I, you know, I have somebody I'm working with. And if somebody has a need, they already have a vendor. That really shouldn't come as any surprise. But when I've trained salespeople and they hear that objection, they will be shut down. They don't know what to do. And so, therefore, they'll end that call and go on to the next. Well, that's a big missed opportunity. We were supporting a creative agency and getting them in with big retailers. And the door opener we had on the business encountered a decision maker who said, listen, thanks for calling. We just finished uh, closing an RFP process. Uh, It's a three-year RFP. Thank you so much for calling and contact me again in three years. And what our door opener said in that split second got the prospect to flip her thinking and have them come in and have that meeting anyway. And what she said in that split second was, how sure are you that the ideas you've seen in the RFP are the freshest ideas out there? So there was a little bit of a silence. Mm. And then the decision maker said, I'm not sure. And then our door opener said, well, then let's set a time to have that conversation house Thursday at 10. Our client not only got that meeting, but the RFP process was opened. Our client pitched and got the decision. Wow, that is such a great story. Yeah, that really is a great story. So that was pillar number three. So what's number four? 
Number four is having the right door opener doing the work. Most people know the difference between the hunters and the farmers. The farmers grow the business, the hunters find the business. What most don't know and what is a blind spot out there for the business leaders is that within the world of hunters, there are different kinds of hunters. Some hunters are great at going on the meetings and closing the sales. We call them the closers. And then there are others who are just intuitively great, got it in their DNA to open relationships with people they don't know. Those are the openers. Those are the only kind of people we have on our team is senior level business developers who are openers. So if you run a sales team, you can probably pick and choose the people who are very comfortable and enjoy the process of opening the door versus the people who would rather put a stick in their eye than do that work. (laughs) And if you are the business owner and it's your job to do the business development, it's really important that you're honest with yourself about whether this is work you truly want to do. There's a direct correlation between time spent and success. So if you don't spend time on door opening, you probably won't get in as many doors as you want. Do your door openers then have to go to a lot of networking events to form these relationships? No, they don't. They are are choosing the exact right prospects for our clients, and then they are opening up those conversations with the prospects by phone and by email. They don't need to go to the networking events. They could, but they don't need to. We're able to do that with phone and email relationships with the gatekeepers. We call them the assistants, of course, uh, and and say something that's so important that the prospects say, you know what, I don't want to put off a meeting like this. I, I need to have this meeting. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, they have to be the hunter and the farmer, and they have to be the door opener, and they have to be the closer too, right? I mean, well, they do. If they if they don't have the ability to hire somebody, yes, they have to be all of those things. But most people are not all of those things. And so, if door opening is something that people really don't want to do, so they're going to put it off, then they just have to be honest with themselves about what they're going to be able to accomplish. So that was number four. That was four, and the fifth one is the execution. So now that you have the strategy pieces in place, you have the right target, the right message, the right answers for objections, which all happen before you ever make phone call number one or email number one. You have the right person doing the work. And then the fifth plank is the right execution. Is it a phone call? Is it an email? How many times are you doing that in the course of a week? Uh, I like to talk about the the three Ps of prospect follow-up, which is persistence with patience without being a pest. And so it's really important to have that cadence down so that you're growing a relationship over time as opposed to irritating someone who will never want to buy from you if you truly irritate them. So that's a great question. So if you are an entrepreneur and you have somebody who's expressed interest and maybe your sales cycle is a week or something and then you haven't heard back from them in two or three days, how do you know whether you're going to irritate them or you're just reminding them of something that they're planning to do. You want to go easy on the voicemail. You want to go easy on the live dialogue, which is why it's so important to have it identified ahead of time. You know, usually when people come to us, they have longer sales cycles. Their sales cycle could be anywhere from six months to a year to a year and a half. And so when they're opening those relationships at first, they have to basically create awareness for the decision maker, either about their company, about them, about the service, especially if it's something new or product, if it's something new, and explain why it's so important that this person knows more about this. And that doesn't all have to happen in one voicemail. 
In fact, we prefer to leave more voicemails, more emails ahead of getting that meeting because the meeting is typically a better meeting the more the prospect knows. Your book is BizDev Done Right on Amazon. And what is your website? It's www.copconsultingusa.com, which is K-O-P-P consultingusa.com. Do you have any other words of wisdom? I guess my, my best word of wisdom would be to, to stick with it and don't let your best prospects forget about you. You may not get in the door on the first call, the first email, but that's okay because as long as you've done a good job targeting, hang in there and keep trying because your competition won't. Karen Kopp, thank you so much for the great advice and the five planks or pillars, I guess almost interchangeable. No, a plank is a really hard exercise. (laughs) (laughs) A pillar holds up a building. No wonder we talked about pillars instead of planks. So This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit. WOR 710, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome back and welcome to the pitch portion of our show. Each contestant will have a total of eight minutes to make their pitch. The first two minutes they fly solo and so for that time describe their project and put it in the best possible light. The remaining time is for the Inquisition, where they'll be challenged by Richard, Elizabeth, and Karen to describe their project in greater detail and convince the audience their project is the best. At the end of the program, our listeners will be directed to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website, where our listeners can vote for the pitch they like the best. Our first pitch today is by Darlene Campbell. Welcome, Darlene. Thank you. I love the different problems that all the different entrepreneurs solve on this radio show. And my product solves a fashion problem. Almost all of you've heard that every woman needs a classic white shirt in her closet. Well, not everybody can have one. A lot of women have actually given up. It's the woman with the high bust-to-waist ratio. A lot of times she'll try to find a shirt that fits her bust, but it'll be baggy at the waist and baggy at the shoulders. So she'll look pretty dumpy. Other times, if she finds a shirt that is fitted at the waist and fitted at the shoulders, it's gapping at the bust and she has to pin it and everyone can tell it's pinned. So it's a fashion problem, but not only that, it's a confidence problem. A woman who wears a collared dress shirt, she looks sharp, she looks put together, she sends power signals, everyone sits up and takes notice. On the other hand, a woman who is wearing a shirt that doesn't quite fit, doesn't quite feel right. It's like she's stepping into a costume instead of stepping into a more powerful version of herself. My shirt, made by Campbell and Kate, that's campbellandkate.com, 
solves that with 24 shirt sizes made for women who have a high bust-to-waist ratio, often women who wear D-cup bras and higher, although sometimes even women who wear C-cups find that our shirts are great fits for them. The reason our shirts are special is nothing to do with a gimmick like an extra button. You'll notice that we've got 12 buttons down the front of our shirt. A lot of people only make shirts with six to eight buttons, but that's not what makes our shirts special. That's just extra insurance. We give you enough fabric for the bust. We've used fit models in three different bust sizes, from a, what we call a small, which is like a D cup and larger, or a D cup, to a medium bust, which is like, um, say, an FG, to a large, which might be someone who wears a G or H cup. So we have enough fabric at the bust, and we take it in at the waist. We fit your shoulders. How it works, you try on our samples at our pop-ups, or you send us your bust and waist measurement and bra and pant size, and we'll send you samples to try. Once we know your size and we work with you, we sew it for you. We love the way that women react. We've had them say, thank you for existing. You're a game changer. When a woman stands up tall as soon as she finishes buttoning our shirts and looks in the mirror, it makes everything worth it. Thank you. That was great. And I have to say, I've had the pleasure a couple of times to go actually get fitted for clothes. And every single person who is fashionable and well-dressed will say, fit is the key. You can wear a $50,000 shirt, and if it doesn't fit you, it's not going to look good, right? That's exactly it. And a lot of times, women who compensate by wearing things that are baggy, they just look bigger. So you've got a tent going on instead of something that makes you look smaller because it shows your shape. And where do you plan to sell the shirts? So we sell the shirts directly to customers via our website and also through pop-up shops. We've had customers in Australia purchase them. I just had someone order from Spain, but a lot of the customers are here in the United States. Well, that's great, Darlene. So um, what are your plans going forward in order to get your product out in the marketplace and known by everyone? The biggest challenge has been those 24 sizes because that's a lot of sizes for a store to carry. But we're gradually figuring out with the data which sizes most women are requesting. So we plan to work with influencers to create designs specific to their readers that are within a good range of sizes that we can make more than just one by one. On the other hand, we also find that as we try to scale Women love getting things made to measure. They love getting things custom. And so we're also finding ways to go niche and to work with even petites and to work with plus size women. That's great. And one thing, you're wearing one of your shirts. And the thing that really I like about it is there are no gaps. I have, can't tell you how many times I've tried on a blouse that fit everywhere except across the bust, even though I'm not like that big busted, but And it just gaps open. It's horrible. Right. And that's why Real Simple in June in their issue called us the best no-gate white shirt. That's awesome. What is your website again? www.campbellandkate.com. And how many times do you have to go back and forth with people? The most we've had go back and forth has been three times. A lot of times customers are actually happy with the sample and they keep it and will ask, oh, how was it? And they say, oh, we love it. We're already wearing it. Um, we're not sending it back. So do you have any plans to go into other colors? Or are you going to stick with white? We actually have other colors. The challenge was finding a company that could provide stretch fabric in small minimums. And we've got, I think the last count, about 64 colors and patterns. And our customers are able to experiment. They can play with it and put different contrasting collars and cuffs. And it really helps people 
express their personality. Personally, I look terrible in white, so I'm happy about those other colors. <laughs> this is just a, a wonderful, wonderful idea. Have you thought about asking those people who are buying from you to refer to their friends? Or have you thought about those who are buying from you to make sure that they buy at least five or six at a time so that they're never without? Those are two great ideas. I found that that latter one is the best for me to work at is trying to say, look, you need more colors. The woman that has three shirts, five shirts, doesn't have to think about what she's going to wear in the day. The referrals I've heard is the best way to go, and that's on the top of my to-do list. I know that um, some of the car companies like Lyft uh, are doing a very good job with those referrals where they just sent out a link and then people will get a discount by sending out that link. So the women know who of their friends could really use a shirt like that. And that's important because it's a little bit of a personal issue. You can't have someone off the street or you can't have a just any generic coworker come and tell you, oh, hey, I've noticed you have this issue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I might punch them if they do. Um, right. But you have Papa. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. I especially like partnering with lingerie stores. A well-fitting bra makes the difference in a well-fitting shirt, and it's not a competing product. So whenever I'm able to have a pop-up shop in a lingerie store, it's a win-win because the customer will often buy a good bra, and they'll look amazing in my shirt, and they have something to take home while they wait for my shirt to be made for them. I also like women's conferences. Um, I've had great success with the professional women that attend, and they are just delighted to find us. So how are you advertising where you're going to be for the pop-up? I use Facebook. I use Instagram. I use Eventbrite and try as many different routes as I can think of, but that is a challenge. I think that's great. It's so hard to get nice fitting clothes, and you're right. You look so much better, and your confidence is so much higher. Darlene Campbell. The website is Campbell, like Campbell Soup, right? That's it. Campbellandkate.com. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not? make it you. If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome back, entrepreneurs. Now we're on to the second pitch of the evening. We have Ty Asia O'Brien, who's going to be talking about Seam Social Labs. You have two minutes. Go. Hey, everybody. This is Ty Asia O'Brien. I'm the founder of Seam Social Labs, and I'll tell you guys a little bit about our unique problem that our business aims to solve. Back in the 1800s, about 3% of the population lived in cities, now, about 54% of the population lives in cities, with 3 million people moving to cities each week, a tiny problem called urban migration. So in major cities, they're dealing with building housing and workforce opportunities for this influx of population. And then smaller towns are dealing with younger generations leaving because they're keenly interested in living in downtown walkable areas where they don't have to drive to get to a local pharmacy. 
in the midst of all of this, the public sector is trying to manage all of these social changes by revitalizing these local areas. But how can a civic leader manage revitalization, economic development, building technological infrastructure, and working on public policy, all the while maintaining the local voice and culture of a local community? So our solution is SEAM Social Labs. We are a group of social researchers, strategists, and marketers dedicated to economic sustainability. Our aim is to be a marketplace of all of the services that are typically needed in the midst of revitalization. And we also offer a supplementary web-based application that's in a prototype stage that is a real-time dashboard of the exact revitalization process that also gives a feed of the voice of the community. Our hope is to offer civic leaders transparent pricing, ongoing support, and the tech-based needs to get the insights on the community without them having to always focus on hosting local community board hearings to get their community's voice and without them having to go through complex routes and barriers in order to procure some of these services. We believe that there's no blanket solution to community revitalizations and that communities are woven threads of challenges and solutions, and we are the seam that brings it all together. Oh, I love that. That's great. I've been in the entrepreneurial world for a while now. This is like the first time I've ever heard of this type of organization where you're actually pulling a group of sociologists together to try to solve urban problems, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you come up with this approach and what motivated you to start? I have spent the past decade working in nonprofits in community development, fundraising, and communications. And I've always managed to work with a lot of community stakeholders who would convey their voices about some of the issues going on in their community, whether it was gentrification or whether it was, you know, huge corporations coming into the community without them understanding it. And then on the other end, I've also partnered with the public sector and they have conveyed that, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to challenge this, but sometimes there's a little bit of bureaucracy you have to work around. So, you know, I spent many nights toiling over this and said, hey, how about we find a way to bring both of these people together but then giving some the public sector some more insight and transparency on what their community needs. And after many reiterations, this is where we landed with this idea. First of all, congratulations on an incredible idea, well needed. My question is, who pays you to do this? And is that budget coming from a budget that already exists where they're pulling money from something else? Or is it additional budget that needs to be approved? So this is a great question. Um, we work with two main clients. So we're B2G, so we're business to government. And frequently governments in their reinvestment during revitalization have a segmented part of their budget that is focused on community engagement and some of these services. The other part is we work with business improvement districts, which back in the day they used to call booster clubs. But um, they work and have a special segment of their budget where they also focus on marketing and some other community-based initiatives. So those are the two clients that are our main demographic. So when you say business improvement districts, is that a government group or is that something else? They are technically nonprofit organizations, but their revenue comes from commercial taxes so their money is distributed through the government after local businesses are taxed. That's really interesting. I actually know nothing about this kind of stuff. <laughs> but I understand how important it is because Richard and I lived in Atlanta when there was a building boom. And what was happening were the builders were just building everywhere. And they were really overstretching the roads, the schools. And we were paying for it. They just took the profit and walked away. 
So I'm assuming that you are solving that kind of problem with this. Absolutely. Um, With situations like that, we would look to go into the community and gain their insights. And a portion of this is done through ethnographic research. And then we partner back with the public sector or the business improvement district to develop a framework and a strategy that is cohesive and works to build a unified vision to avoid situations like that. So you build a strategy. Do you ever get your hands dirty and go out there in the trenches and advocate for, uh, you know, a particular strategy or a particular approach to solve a problem? Absolutely. Um, We definitely work on somewhat of a grassroots level in that realm and trying to get out there and be the voice for the community and door-to-door knock for small businesses. It's actually something that we're doing with um, or for Long Island City right now, given some of the economic development initiatives that people are working on there. So my question is, how are you getting to the decision makers to help them to understand that you're available to help them to solve these problems? One is through contacts that I already have and that some of my network has and really going to events and trying to meet some of these high-level door openers. The second would be I'm buying your book ASAP (laughs) and getting some insight from there because we can definitely use some more strategy around that. Awesome. So one problem we have in our neighborhood, and it's not really growing. It's pretty much as big as it's going to get because there isn't any more room to build, but we don't have sidewalks, and that drives me crazy. So do you advocate for sidewalks? That is a huge thing we advocate for. Our part of the web-based dashboard that we are creating is going to include a – it's actually a website – that focuses on how walkable a street is. So giving public officials more insight on how walkable those streets are and advocating for the community to get that to happen and getting urban planners involved around that. The argument against sidewalks from the city is usually it's just expensive to put in and then expensive to maintain, right? So it's an extra expense that the city doesn't want to bear. It is, um, but there is tons of funding out there, whether it's public-private opportunities or partnerships to make that happen, or federal funding to make that happen for a community that we can help them look for. But even budgeting for a, a service like this is probably something most people, most most people in government have not thought about before. So I would imagine you're going to get an objection like, we don't have budget for that, or we're solving the problem in a different way. So what is your plan for overcoming that objection? That's a great question. A lot of the times, one of the first questions when we're meeting with a potential client is, where does your budget come from for initiatives like this? Or what other city agencies in your community do you partner with to ensure you know, who has more funding than you? who can back an initiative like this. I just want to say one thing about the sidewalks. So our daughter, who is very bright and talented, will not drive. And I really think the sidewalks are going to be a big deal in the future. And I really hope that you can get communities to make them more walkable. Absolutely. Um, As an example, Long Island right now is dealing with a housing crisis because a lot of younger millennials and Gen Zs want sidewalks. Um, So as you know, public officials start to get a whiff of this, I think that it's going to be easier for us to advocate for that stuff like that. Well, that's great, Taeja. And we're coming to the end of our segment, but maybe you can tell us again how people can find you. Absolutely. Everyone can find us online. So our website is Seam Social Labs, and that's Seam, S-E-A-M, like you're stitching something together. And we are also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hi, Asia O'Brien. Thank you very much for being on the program. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit. WOR 710, the voice 
of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney. Spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We are on to our third pitch by Alice Hackett, who is the president of the Board of Trustees of the Women's Center for Entrepreneurship Corporation in New Jersey. Welcome, Alice. Thank you, Elizabeth. Women's Center houses the WBC grant, which is the Women's Business Center. This is funded by the Small Business Administration for the purpose of helping small entrepreneurs grow, start businesses and grow their businesses. We are called the Women's Business Center because the SBA's directive was to really try to help women, but men are definitely entitled to join our classes and they have been in droves. What we do is we help, first of all, determine do you have a viable business idea, help you develop a business plan and give you direction on to help that business grow. The second focus under the Women's Center is growth. Women and men that have started businesses have started to receive revenue and are interested in learning the next steps to grow that business would take our growth venture course. And the last focus is for women business owners only. Women that have established businesses, have a couple of employees, and have started to try to figure out how to really scale up their business. And our goal is to help them reach a million dollars. We set up this three-step program because when we started, we were strictly the Women's Business Center helping startups. Then we realized we weren't helping them get to the next step. So we started that course. But then we really realized that there is what I call the middle class of women business owners. They're not just starting up. They're not strapped for cash. They're not strapped for money. And the higher end is the Women's President's Organization, which has women that business owners or executives that are earning a million dollars in revenue or better. What I call the middle class has been neglected for a long time. And it is a step-by-step process. And our goal is to shorten that path for them and help them get to the million dollars as quickly as possible. We are doing that through, as I said, the Women's Business Center grant and also the growth venture, but we've just now introduced Power Up. The purpose of Power Up is to help women that realize that they have something valuable. It's not just a job to them. They didn't start this business just to bring in money. They really have something that they want to have grow. And we are established a women's peer-to-peer advisory group that is very structured. It's going to be facilitated by women that have a lot of experience, and they will be given very strict assignments each month to help them study and prepare for the class. But the real growth comes because women get women. And they want to be able to make each other accountable through that month to make sure that they are reaching their goals. That's great. Thank you. So 
how many women are typically in a power up class? We limit it to be 10 with no, minimum of 10, no more than 14. And it, it is industry specific. We want them to com- be able to come in and put on the table everything that's going on in their business without worrying about is someone going to steal their idea? Or is there a competitor? Whatever. Women get women. And we just find the dynamic changes when there's a man or two in the room. And it's not that it's the man's fault. It's not that it's the woman's fault. They, these groups get very personal about their personal issues that may be holding them back from growth. They're less apt to be as open and talk about that if there's a man around. I think you just hit on something really important that a lot of people don't think about, and that is personal issues. People really do have to work on those to be effective in the workplace. Absolutely. We had one woman, we did a beta test on the first class, and we had one woman that really opened up about personal issues with children, drug issues, whatever. And I don't want to say these women beat her up, because it wasn't a beat up. It was encouraging to put limits. And she really got the courage to do that, to put limits onto how much she would devote to that problem and that issue and to demand her own space and her own respect for the job. And she has just moved on. She is helping women write books, not just women, she's helping people write books, which is really her business and just phenomenal. But it was from the coaching and the support during the month and at the meetings. I've been a member of the WPO, Women's Presidents Organization, for a very long time. And I have found that sharing issues in a confidential setting is really important, and especially the personal issues. When I first joined, I didn't understand why anybody would want to talk about anything personal because we were there to talk about business. But if you don't have your personal life in order, or if you have issues that are getting in the way of you being a good leader, it's, it's very difficult. to So to have a group of people there is incredibly important and valuable. So my question would be, how does somebody know that she is right for a group like this, that she is the exact right person to join this versus the other groups that are out there? Well, we would do a vetting process. I will tell you the one thing that is distinguishing us from the other groups, it's all women. Now, our goal had been not to compete with the WPO organization, but to have our women qualify for the WPO as a next step. But most groups out there are combining genders. Not good, not bad, but we are finding that the growth, we had one woman that increased her profit 16% last year. That's great. And what we also encourage is just what you're saying. There are a lot of classes, a lot of groups out there. You qualify for this group, you take this group, one of our women qualified for Goldman Sachs 10,000 after that. The EPI out of Rutgers, there are a lot of groups. We're not saying stop at one. What our hope is that there will be a loyalty in this group and from all our alum that take the different courses and that we can put together an alumni group to continue to support, that it doesn't just stop dead there. And once you develop that kind of relationship, we feel they'll pay back the ones coming up behind them, they'll pay forward, That's our goal. This is great. I have to say I am a member of the WCEC New Jersey chapter. And I know we're talking about power up. We're women who are already making money and getting there. They get the boost they need to go all the way. But the WCEC also has a lot of other classes for people just starting out that I think are very valuable. And what I like about it is they hold them all over New Jersey. So if you can't make one in, say, Summit, 
or someplace, maybe you can make one in Tom's River, right? Well, there is actually another WBC center in the Tom's River area, oh, or just, just below Tom's River. So, But we, we go as far as probably Tom's River. And we are now trying to work with a couple of organizations in Tom's River to set up those classes as well. It's just a fact of life that northern Jersey has the, the greatest concentration of women business owners throughout the state. We will also be bringing power up into New York City. We have a facilitator lined up for New York City. Um, we have a facilitator from Pennsylvania that will be coming into New Jersey. But as the word gets out and women want to join in Philadelphia, we will spread out there as well. You talk about uh, the facilitator being an important part of this, but is mentoring a part of this too by business owners who have maybe gone further than the ones who are in the groups? Well, we haven't set up mentoring at this point, but we have been very, the Women's Presence Organization has been very generous about having women come in and speak to the group based upon their expertise, whether it's marketing, whether it's finance, um, whatever. And just seeing a woman, such as yourself, seeing and hearing what you've accomplished and how you've grown, we want to change that mindset that this is just a job. All the statistics show that women are starting businesses at a faster rate, have more employment, et cetera. But when you boil it down, the businesses that are reaching over a million dollars, only 1.7% of the women-owned businesses are reaching a million, yet they are far more startups and growth for women in business. So if somebody wants to participate in this program, where would they go to find out about it? The best place to go is our website, which is wcecnj.org, and they can speak to, they'll outline everything that's going on, but there will also be contact information for calling the office, asking questions. There'll be um, LinkedIn contact for the facilitators so that you can see how strong they are and what you're interested in. And you're doing this position as a volunteer. So how do you support yourself? Well, I am a certified financial planner, and it's probably dovetails with my profession. As a financial planner, I educate my clients. I work with my clients. I encourage my clients. I point out the laws that will affect them and their family, etc. But I encourage them to make the steps that are needed for financial growth or even just financial protection in their own relationships. And so it seemed like a natural fit to just move along here. Alice Hackett. Thank you, Alice. You are listening to WOR 710 Passage to Profit with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guest, Karen Kopp. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearhartLaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without 
about calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Well, we've come to the end of our presentations this evening, and they were all great, weren't they? Yes, I love having such excellent people on this show. And remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com. G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. And the people that we had today were Darlene Campbell, who pitched Campbell and Kate professional button-down blouses with the perfect fit. Tyasia O'Brien pitched Seam Social Labs, providing products and services so communities and civic leaders can focus on building the cities of tomorrow. And Alice Hackett, who pitched the Women's Center for Entrepreneur Corporation's new program, Power Up, for women who are ready to take the next step with their businesses. And now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. You have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt, and the best overall vote-getter for the month will receive an Amazon gift card. Before we sign off, thanks to everyone who participated today. I just love hearing these pitches each week. And we do have a contest where people go to vote, but you know I never vote because I can't choose because I love them all. And we were very impressed with everything we heard today, and I feel like you're showing us the future. Yeah, I agree, Elizabeth. The pitches were wonderful, and I want to say thanks again to our guest, Karen Kopp who took us over the top in so many ways. Uh, Do you have any final words for us, Karen? Yeah, I was so impressed with the people who came to pitch and the creativity of the ideas to see a niche in the market and then to create services and products to fill that niche. So my couple two cents at the end is to always know where the money is coming from. Right. Make sure that you're targeting people who will pay you for your products or pay you for your services and then open up relationships with them and stay with them over time. That sounds great. And I thought the pitches were all wonderful tonight. I learned about blouses, things that I'm not (laughs) that familiar with. And I learned about the WCEC, which was interesting. A lot of women's topics today. Yeah, right. Which is fine. And of course, social planning and urban planning, which is really pretty interesting and really approached in a very unique way. So kudos to our presenters. Yes. And don't forget to get Karen's book, Biz Dev Done Right. And to go to her website, koppconsultingusa.com. USA.com. <laughs> it takes two. <laughs> yes, it does. And we'd like to thank our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our producer, Noah Fleischman, Rob the Engineer, and the whole iHeart team. And don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, WOR710, the voice of New York. Mm-hmm.